We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 21, Patty, 21 of the, of the Swider Show, man. It's a monumental episode. There, there's, there's a stat, there's a video that someone sent us um, saying that basically a lot of podcasts don't get past episode 20, so uh, we're truly blessed to be here at episode 21, and uh, Patty, man, what a weekend, huh? Yeah, it's it's big time. I mean, uh, I made a bad joke our first episode that we were the first, you were the first athlete to uh, start a podcast because I, a big joke now is like, oh, everyone has a podcast. Yeah. That's a big thing with this generation. Not every podcast gets episode 21, which is your point. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, we're, we're just getting started. This is 21 of maybe 2,100 episodes. <laughs> Got a lot of guests. <laughs> a lot of guests banked. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of big things planned. A lot of big goals to still check off. But this is, this is somewhat of a milestone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, last episode was very good with Jim. Speaking of having stuff bank, we have we have some more gym content coming in the future whenever we like kind of in a pinch for a guest. But um, yeah, I mean Swider, big weekend for you. I think the first thing would be talking all our our number one market is still the Q's um, fans and the Q's people of beautiful Syracuse, New York. And you were there this weekend. How was it? Man, it was amazing. Just first of all, getting to the dome. I mean, I saw Adam and Jake basically probably twenty minutes after I got there, but. It's just amazing. Just I, I think I've talked about this before when, when I went back in September. Just like I went there for a year, we didn't have the we didn't have the greatest year. I, whatever, I averaged fourteen and seven. Not like I had like this all American type year, right? And I go back and people are chanting my name, coming up to me looking for autographs. No way. It was it was crazy, right? I mean, Adam and Jake can attest to it. It's just like the love that you get from Syracuse fans, and. So many people came up to me and was just, thank you so much for coming back. We appreciate you coming back. Like, this is amazing for us to see you and meet you. And we're, we, we watched all your summer league games and, and everything like that. And we got a lot of love for the podcast, too. Like, everyone was like, I listen to your podcast all the time. They're showing me the, da- the downloads and everything like that. So I think one, one thing I will say is that me going back to Syracuse, I really had, like, a little time to reflect. And, like, you really don't understand how powerful – your impact can be. One kid came up to me and uh, 
Patty, do you remember the, the the documentary series that we had at the beginning of the year? Uh, yeah, last year. Yeah, when's that dropping? Is that coming out or? No, no, no. I'm talking about the one that already that, that was dropping during our. Oh pre-season. yeah, 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 yeah. What was it called? Stories. Stories. Story. And, yeah. And. Uh, Wait, real quick before you, you talk, any listener that hasn't watched that, you should definitely go back and watch that. That was like so well done and fun to watch. And I'm yeah. not even just saying that because I was on the team. But uh, it was it was very good. It was like a, you know, last dance quality documentary. <laughs> but it was about Buddy and Swider. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely check that out. But you were saying. But I had a little feature on me Friday for the first minute and a half of one of those episodes, and I talked mm-hmm. about I live by the five P's: proper preparation prevents poor performance. In terms of my faith and 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 the things that I want to do in terms of preparing my body mentally, spiritually, in terms of getting ready for games, getting ready for practice, who I want to be. Uh, growing into the man I want to become and uh, a kid came up to me he was like I even have the five P's in my background my my phone background and no like way. that that just that just like made me like it gave chills down my back because it's like you truly don't know the impact that you have on, on other people and uh, and yeah it was it, it was an amazing visit back to Syracuse got to see Buddy got to see the whole entire the squad got to right. see La- Laval we're, we're gonna mention Laval in every single episode from now on <laughs> yeah um, Dude, he's got to come on at some point. I yeah. think he's got to make it happen. Yeah, we'll man. figure out some sort of segment to get him on. But, um, I mean, speaking more of that, what does that mean to you? Because you're someone who grew up, like, idolizing a lot of NBA players like every little kid does. Yeah. And, like, you were in those shoes. So now to see a kid be like, oh, you know, I, he looks at you as you looked at any, like, elite shooter growing up or any <laughs> elite player. So. Did you ever think that you'd be in that scenario? I mean, I'm sure you thought you'd like have success and everything, but that's like a whole different type of impact that, you, like you're saying, you don't even really factor that in when you're growing up. Yeah, I, I don't know. My so I was a top 40 player coming out of high school, like we talked about. I was Jordan Brand All American, and then when I went to Villanova my freshman year, I would say I kind of had like this big head, this ego of like I'm gonna go to go do two years at Villanova and then go to the NBA and everything's gonna be great and. And then it just didn't happen like that. After my freshman year, I like got I got humbled, man. Like I totally changed my perspective on everything. Like I, I I learned how to value the process and value the journey. And it's even like to now, like I don't even think people are gonna recognize who I am going places just because I like that's just what I've right. kind of what I've kind of thought about myself, right? And uh, it was. Going to Syracuse was the perfect decision for me because it allowed me to not only play in front of the best fan fan base in the country, the biggest stage in the country, but it allowed me to be like get back into myself and my confidence and who I am as a person and be able to make an impact being in that community, right? And I truly believe that Syracuse is one of the only – like we've talked about this. There's probably only five schools in the country – where you have a big school like Syracuse, where basketball is the main sport, and the basketball players are looked at like like gods, right? It's probably right, Indiana, yeah. it's probably Indiana, Arizona, Duke, Syracuse, and I might be missing Kansas, maybe yeah, Kansas, and maybe UCLA, UNC, UNC, UCLA, yeah, UNC, right? But like, yeah, the list is short. To your point, this is yeah, very short teams, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, you make me look bad now, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just an it's just a, it was just an amazing environment. I wish the game could have gone a little bit better, but. Uh, I had right. a great week. I had a great weekend in Syracuse, man. I can't complain. Just very, 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 yeah, very that, humbling. That atmosphere, no matter what the the final score is, the atmosphere, the feel on campus, everyone just so 
bought in on, on one goal, and it's like the entire city is just like, this is all that matters for the entire day, really for the entire weekend. And it's funny because... It's sweet. And it's funny because, like, you think that since Coach K is gone, maybe the Duke game doesn't have the same amount of hype. Duke's not ranked anymore. But no. Right. 30, 31,000 show up, and it's still the biggest game of the year. Yeah, there's just, like, no atmosphere like that in literally in all of basketball. It's not even just college basketball. And um, any Syracuse fans tuning in, Adam Lewis, our producer, and Sheridan, he's not here again. But I guess we'll give him credit here. <laughs> I mean, you're not climbing many stairs anywhere else. I mean, if you think about it, 8450 students. Duke, like Cameron, is also one of the best atmospheres in the country. And they hold like 9,300 total. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a juxtaposition there. Good vocab of uh, what, what makes college basketball what it is. But, yeah, that atmosphere was sweet. Um, Swider, the reason you were able to, to make the trip was All-Star Weekend. So, uh, I mean, you were in Cuse, but... How was the break? How was your first All-Star weekend? I feel like a lot of players kind of need it as a, a little recharge of the battery. Yeah, it was fun, man. It was quick, though. It was quick. I, I, I think that anyone would tell you that it's a, it's a very quick break, especially when you're flying in from Cleveland the morning the morning of. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we flew in Yeah, what were you, Thursday, Thursday to Monday? Yeah, but my flight to Cleveland was at 7 a.m. on Thursday, and my flight uh, out of Syracuse on Monday was at 6 a.m. So... Hey, but uh, a little story about that, right? So one, one of the uh, – so I, I went and got some shots up on Sunday. Shout-out to the five Syracuse managers that Lee Gertzman got together. That was that was huge to, for to, three-round for me. Shout-out to Lee. Does Lee listen to the pod? Lee said, he, Lee said he's not a podcast guy. He said he can't lock in. Okay. Yeah. Which You know what? That's that's fair. I respect that. Just We'll just tell him to download it. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to listen. Yeah, exactly. But go on. So uh, – so Lee got together five managers to rebound for me. It was great. And then uh, after after that, we went to Core Life. We got something to eat. Typical Classic. typical Swider move, right? And then uh, I was telling I was telling all the guys that hey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm catching a six a.m. flight out tomorrow morning. Not not trying to get anyone to drive me or anything like that. I was gonna figure out my own ride. And uh, my boy Brendan, one of the Syracuse managers, uh, texted me. He was like, hey, I'll bring you in the morning. So shout out to Brendan. That was a that was a huge huge. Uh, what was that a four thirty a.m. hop? Yeah, he picked up at four thirty in the morning, and and then Syracuse oh Airport was jumping at five a.m. Really jumping? Is that right? Jumping. It was probably a uh, long line. Probably a lot of Duke people and whatnot. It, it was funny because like probably three people came up to me and took pictures with me at, at the airport at, at five in the morning, but you could tell there was people that were like, all right, like don't give them a hard time. It's it's five a.m. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage everyone to give you a hard time <laughs> because I'm always in the other opposite side where I'm like, oh, should I go up to this person and ask him for a picture? So yeah, I feel like you'll always be receptive. Oh yeah, no, I, I, it'd always, be hilarious. If, like I tell people to do that, and like you just get swamped, like <laughs> swarmed everywhere, and you're like, fuck off, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but especially for Syracuse fans, man, I got such a soft yeah, spot in my heart for Syracuse fans. The Q's people. Um, it is insane, though, how many people. Like, I was in, not to brag, talk about myself. I was in Florida this weekend. I was wearing this hat. Or, no, I changed hats. I was wearing the hat that says orange on it. And, like, everywhere you go, people are just like, oh, go orange. Yeah. It's like, unbelievable. There's just, there's just, the Q's tentacles are everywhere. I was, at a, I was at a Dodgers baseball game this summer, and I was wearing a Syracuse uh, shirt. And probably four people mm-hmm. said, go orange to me. It was, it was ridiculous. 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's up there with Roll Tide of of sayings too. Just a quick go go orange. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's just I mean it's just automatic. Swire. So a big thing this like past weekend is is kind of the buyout market. I think a lot of people would probably see your former teammate Pat Bev sign with Chicago. That's probably the most notable one besides your other former teammate Russell Westbrook going to the Clips. But um, then after that came this wave of two way guys getting getting converted. So. As a two-way guy yourself, can you kind of explain to people and explain to me like I'm five so that I could explain to other people what it means to get converted? Yeah. So I think that at the end of every single season, every single team's trying to figure out, we're, we're going to fill out all 15 roster spots just so we have that, just so we have all 15 guys playing, especially for the teams that are going to make the playoffs. And for a team like the Lakers who've had 14 guys all year, it makes sense to have that 15th guy, especially since we're making a playoff push. So... At this point in the year, it's already past the 50 games, and the two-way guys like, we, like we've talked about this year um, are only allowed to play 50 NBA games. So a lot of these guys who are hitting those that 50 mark are either getting waived or they're getting converted into a standard contract. So I, I, I saw probably four or five guys get converted off the two-way contracts just because they've been playing the whole uh-huh. entire year with, with those NBA teams. So... Um, yeah, man. I, I think it's I think especially for the Lakers coming up, where you're gonna sign a guy or, or someone's gonna get converted. So I, I think right. it's just a, a really Somewhere. great yeah. yeah. I think it's just a really great opportunity for all two ways, especially at this point of the year. And this is where the 50 games kind of helps a two way, right? Because in, the, in previous yeah. years, if if you play, you could play the whole entire season all playoffs, and then you're still making a two way salary. Where now, if you play the 50 games, you're part of the rotation. You're gonna get rewarded and get put onto. A, a standard contract, which is more money, and it just allows you, it just allows you to have yeah, a, just, a real just NBA your life over life. Oh yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Um, yeah, wink, wink. That's not putting you in a bad spot to talk about that, but I was just like pretty curious about that because a lot of guys got converted. Yeah. But it's really just a games played thing, then. It's the fifty games. Yeah, it's, it's mostly the fifty games. I mean, guys like Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb and Jordan Goodwin and all these guys, Dwayne Washington, Moses Brown, all these guys have been playing the whole entire year up up with the top team. They haven't really played a lot of, a lot of G League games, so mm-hmm. it just makes sense for those guys to kind of uh, be converted. Right. Yeah. That's that's pretty fascinating. It's just like all about filling out rosters at this point. It's kind of cool finalizing everything, and then this is the best part of the NBA season because it's just like a mad dash. Twenty five games left. Yeah. Everyone's jockeying for a position. No big but, time. Um, the other thing that there's a lot of ruckus. I also want to ask our guest this episode. We're back to doing the pre-show and for the interview, but our guest is your uh, G League teammate, Shaq Harrison. Yep. who has played in the NBA, has played in the G League, seen it all, had a big career. So I kind of want to ask both of you guys about All-Star Weekend, specifically the All-Star Game. But our mailbag question of the week is specific to All-Star Saturday night. So um, Jared writes in for a good mailbag question of the week to be featured, email swidershow at gmail.com. But um, he said, hey, guys, big fan of the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Jared. Do you guys ever see, this is mainly for you, Cole. Yep. Do you guys ever see superstars competing in the Saturday Night All-Star events again? So like the dunk contest, the three-point contest. Because there was a lot of ruckus, a lot of uh, rhetoric around basically just being like, I mean, shout out Mac McClung. That was an unbelievable performance. But not to take a shot on any any guys, but there's not like the, the John Morants, the Zions competing in it. 
like there might have been like one time, once upon a time with Jordan and Wilkins and Kobe and all those guys. So, first of all, do you, what do you think the rationale is for why that's been happening progressively over the years? And do you think it will ever get back to that point where those guys are competing? Yeah, man. I think the f- the first point that I've kind of heard about is that there's no really incentive for these guys to uh, be in the dunk contest. To do it. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you see Dame Lillard in the three-point contest. You see a bunch of these guys doing three-point contest. So I don't think a three-point contest is, a, is as much like this. But Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know why I lumped that in. I just actually thought in my head, I'll probably tell Adam to cut that. But you called me out, so we'll keep it. <laughs> but <laughs> in, in, in terms of the dunk contest, there's no really incentive for these guys to make it. And then the guy like Aaron Gordon and the guy like Zach Levine, who, who either have won it or Aaron Gordon's kind of gotten pushed out of the dunk contest uh, by – not, Did he, he never actually win it? He never actually won it, but he's a he's a dunk contest staple. Yeah, he's he's more memorable than like eighty percent of the guys that have won it. Exactly, say, at least. Exactly. So it's funny for a guy like Michael Jordan. He was the first. I think it was the first season that they had a dunk contest. He he did it, and that's where they get the mm-hmm. that's where they got the Jumpman logo. So right. it's just interesting because. It was such a new thing back then that it was cool for Michael Jordan to go do it. It was cool for, for Kobe Bryant to go do it at, like early in his career. But for a guy like Zion, a guy like all, all these different people, it's it's not cool anymore, right? So it's like, how are we how would we be able to make a guy like Zion or Ja do it? It would have to be something that's not money because be, being incentivized isn't isn't a big deal for them. Making a hundred thousand dollars or seventy five thousand dollars isn't a big thing for them. So I, I think I think to really be able to um, make the All-Star game competitive and to make a Saturday night a show would, would be to get those big guys, A, and then would for there to be an incentive that would move the needle for them to do it. You know what I mean? Right. If, if, if that, like, it would be cool if you make like a signature shoe, right? Like if the winner gets a signature shoe. But that's, a, that's actually a good call. Yeah. The problem is all those guys already have signatures. Exactly. There's a jaw out. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know, just something like I don't know, just something that would move the needle a little bit. Uh-huh. But the cool thing about the whole Mac McClung thing is he obviously stole the show, did a great job. Like they, they there's literally like talk shows talking about did Mac McClung save the dunk contest after? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that's how good of a job he did. Um, but I think the coolest part about that was that he could actually use that money that he won from winning the dunk contest. He won, yeah. I saw that graphic where it was like his career earnings technically for basketball was like 107K. <laughs> and in the dunk contest, he won 100K. So yeah. it's like, yeah, that's to your point. That's kind of why he was so incentivized. It was a pretty insane performance. I mean, um, the other thing that's tough about it now is like every dunk has been done before. Yeah. Which is why it was so, like, kind of jaw-dropping that he was able to do these dunks that you've never really seen before, especially his first one was ridiculous, where he, like, jumped over the kid and then uh, tapped it off the backboard and, like, did a reverse. But, like, Jericho Sims, he's kind of getting clowned on social media because it's like, oh, like, he did that dunk twice in a row. It was kind of funny in the moment, but it was like, all right, he does have his... He's literally doing, like, the Vince Carter dunk with, with both his arms. And people are like, oh, that's so lame. That's been done before. It's like, all right, well, I mean... Like, it still is an insane dunk. Well, I also think for a guy like Jericho Sims, right, he has like a 50-inch vertical. But he's also like 6'11". 
and he doesn't have the same flexibility or like or like movements that a guard has. So it, it kind of puts him at a disadvantage because like he doesn't naturally have that flexibility to be able to do a crazy dunk. But he can freaking put, he can touch his head on the top of the backboard. So like, what are we judging? Literally, here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to uh, it's hard to decipher. But what we actually talked about off Kramer is me and Swider both have a perfect solution to it. We have the answers, but some sort of uh, endorsement deal has to be worked out for us to reveal those. So <laughs> someone hit up the podcast. And we'll let you know how to save the dunk contest. But exactly, um, Swider. Anything else before we we get to your friend Shaq? Nah, man, really excited for Shaq Harrison to come on. Really great teammate of mine. Just a, a super class act. He's been on four standard NBA contracts, and uh, he's done a great job for us this year. He's been an ultimate team leader, been an ultimate glue guy for our team. And one thing that I really can't wait to get in with Shaq is how he didn't make the NBA by scoring 25 points a game, right? He made it mm-hmm. by, by being a great teammate, by being the best defender on the court, by being a great complimentary player to these superstars, and he ultimately has helped me a lot understand what I need to do to be a full-time NBA player. So super excited to have Shaq on. Uh, like, like you guys will see, he's, he's a great, great guy. Um, great dude. Hard worker, does all the right things. And, uh, and yeah, man, just super excited to have Shaq Harrison on. And uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you guys on the other side. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone. We are now very honored to welcome on uh, Swider's good, our Swider show good friend now, the best defender in the G League. Stamp it. Stamp it. <laughs> It is Shaq Harrison. Shaq, thanks for joining the show, man. No, thank you guys for inviting me. You know, it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. I obviously, hit Shaq with this kind of late, Patty. Um, was looking for a big-time guest, and, and Shaq came through. So, super excited to have Shaq on, man. And uh, first of all, man, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> yeah, man, I've been great. You know, grinding out this G League season, you know, as you know, our team's been uh, a little up and down lately with yeah. inconsistency with wins, so battling through that. But overall, been a great year. Uh, you know, met a lot of guys, uh, had a lot of ros- uh, roster turnover with lineups. So, you know, it's just been a grind from, you know, day one to where we are now. Let's talk about that a little bit because the G League is, is different, right? Because there's certain guys getting called up. Last year you had five call-ups with, with different NBA teams with COVID. And then this year there hasn't been as many call-ups, so the roster's been kind of stagnant. But... LJ gets hurt, I come back. There's been all these different guys just, just in and out of the lineup. 
how, how do you deal with that being kind of a veteran who's been in the NBA, who, who had call-ups last year, who was coming back in the teams that when, – because when you come back, you come back with the blue mm-hmm. coats. So talk about just the adjustment period that the team has from you, – you have one set lineup one day, and then – and that's in the NBA too. Yeah, uh, I mean – for a guy first coming out of college, it definitely will be tough for them. But, like, since me being a vet, I'm so used to seeing so yeah. much roster turnover, so many different type of lineups on the floor. I think how I go about it is, you know, just staying ready at all times and knowing that your spot really isn't secure. Yeah. You know, whether that's with an injury, whether that's with a coach liking you, or even um, being on a two-way or being on a roster, a roster spot in the NBA. Uh, I would say the biggest – thing for a G League guy is to always be prepared for an NBA guy coming down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't let your feelings get hurt where you're playing 20 minutes a night, 20, 25 minutes a night, and then boom, a guy comes down and, and you've been killing and all of a sudden you're playing five or maybe not, maybe have a DMP. Yeah. I would say never get down on that because it's going to happen and, you know, that has to be your mindset in order to, you know, get past it and play your game when your, minute, when your minutes come back. No, for sure, man. It's just such a such a mindset shift, right? Like you've done a great job this year, being able to. You can play with anyone on the floor at any given time. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about this last night a little bit, but you being an NBA veteran, you played in the NBA for four years. Me and Patty talk about this all the time, the differences. But what are some of the similarities that that you think have helped you be successful at the NBA level and then be successful at the G League level? Uh, I think what helped me a lot, you know, we talked about a little bit, your mindset. You definitely have to have a strong mindset in this business. Like, you can't go into it with feelings. And also, you know, your your work ethic. Uh, You got to trust what you put in over over the course of the summer, over the course of your career. And you just got to lean into that and always, you know, keep a a, a level, a, a level of, confidence and also a level of humility yeah. as well so you know that's what i would say the biggest thing for that is check if you uh do you feel like it's a maturity thing because i in both those answers like it's kind of talking about you were once a guy that was in the nba and you're moving down and you've also been a guy that was in the g league and you moved up i think a lot of people from the outside looking in it's like a human nature thing where you're all sort of competing for you know a few like a handful of spots in the g league um, do you feel like you've struggled at times in your career with, yeah, you're on the team, you have the same goal, but you can't, like, I feel like a lot of people think in the G League there's this jealousy aspect, or you're trying, like I said, you're all competing for one spot, so how have you sort of been able to be as good of a teammate as I can tell and most fans can tell you are, but you're also trying to balance where it's like, at the end of the day, you kind of are competing with the guys on your team. Is that something that you've kind of, like, had to adjust to when you were in the G League and when you started your professional career? Uh, honestly, it's been, you know, for me, my journey alone, it's always been uh, competing with people. I've never, I've always had to prove myself. And so I've always kind of had to wait my turn. So it's easier for a guy like me who's been through those type of situations at a young age, going all the way back to high school. Uh, but, like, you know, I can understand where guys – you know, who been a number one guy, been a number two guy on their team their whole entire life, so they haven't really had to compete at a level of their spot and their position in this league because they always was this is the best player, more athletic, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I would definitely say that with my experience from grinding it out, 
trying to prove to my coach what it is, it helps me. It helps me on a easier journey. And translate it. Yeah, translate. Yeah, yeah. yeah translate because right. I've done it before. So for the mm-hmm. other for other guys, is you know, it's, it's you can't put you really can't put yourself in those those guys' shoes because you've never been in those guys' shoes, and it's hard to mm-hmm. tell them to do this a certain way when they've been doing some a certain way their whole entire career and their right. life. So you talk about have you had that chip on your shoulder? You've always been competing with guys since high school. Let's bring it back to high school, Patty. How was that segue? You like that? <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was that was solid. That was the twenty first episode segue. I don't think that happens on the first episode. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that came natural actually. But uh, so you talk about going back to high school. And Patty, you might not know this, but Shaq was originally a football first. He, he was about to go to Kansas for football. So talk about having that mentality, and then how you've kind of translated that to ultimately choosing Tulsa, being under recruited. Mm-hmm. And how that mentality has kind of carried you through this way from high school to now? Uh, I have a actually a crazy story about um, kind of just how my high school career even started. Uh, I was extremely small my freshman year, so I wasn't the height that I am now. I actually grew about four or five inches my junior year. Wow. Yeah, to the height, to height. Or I guess six two in high school, so I was about easy like five eight, five five nine on a good day. So, so uh, you, Patty. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's you know, so I was stre- I was stressed out my whole freshman year, uh, yeah. sophomore year, sophomore year. I'm the same height, and uh, you know, I have talent, but I'm so small. Like, and we have guys, you know, I'm not trying to knock the guys on the team, but you know, none of them went Division One, none of them went even Division Two, you know, later in their careers, uh, you know. But I went up to the high school coach and. Who, he's my guy, right? Like he's my guy. Like me and him are so, super close to this day. And I looked him in the eyes and said, "Hey, coach, do you think I'm a varsity player?" And he looked me right in my eye and told me, "No, I don't think you're a varsity player. I think you might I think you're a sophomore player." If I'm being completely honest with you, sophomore, not even JV. And so from that day forward, I like my mindset and like that feeling I had in my my stomach when he told me that because I, I was actually happy that he told me the truth it just changed like how I worked and how I view you know this game and with anything in life because you know he told me (laughs) that I wasn't a varsity player and like in my mind I'm wanting to go D1 in my mind I want to go to the NBA like how are you going to go to the NBA and go division one if you can't even make a varsity roster (laughs) Mm -hmm. so like that was just like every time I like you know I I go through struggles in life or go through you know, even like me having a setback to the G League from the NBA, I think about that time right there being told no mm-hmm. at such a young age. It's it's actually insane how many one celebrities and two athletes that are very successful have a very similar story where there was some person who was like, "Yeah, you're not going to make it," and then you just like completely prove them wrong the rest of your life. But Swire so mentioned your football days. Um, can you kind of talk about why you ended up choosing basketball and? What position you were gonna play at Kansas for football? Yeah, uh, I was wide receiver, and um, like I said, I was pretty small. I grew, like I said, I grew four or five inches when I uh, became a junior. You know, I always played football, but I stopped playing football my sophomore year because I wanted to focus in on basketball because I heard the, okay. you know the coach told me that I wasn't gonna make the varsity team. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back. Yeah, that coach football coach. Yeah, so you so know, you just make fun of him. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> the coach. Uh, 
the football coach actually, you know, asked me to come back and play football because I was a pretty decent football player. Nothing too crazy. Like, I played defense at the time when I was growing up like a corner because I was super small and just fast. And that's where they put all the short black guys. <laughs> um, I, I end up playing wide receiver. Um, I started, like, getting into the weight room a little bit. They introduced me to it a little bit. And it was just, honestly, in my mind, it was to get, you know, just another sport under my belt to get, like, a little bit tougher in basketball. Uh, I was solely using it for basketball purposes, and it ended up being, you know, a really good position and a sport for me, bigger than what I could ever imagine. Uh, you know, I started getting um, recruiting, um, getting recruited in football more than basketball. My coaches, even on the football team, uh, was guiding me away from basketball, and even to my my senior year, people thought I was gonna play basketball. People told me to play basketball and the reason why I even chose basketball is because first of all I love basketball and me and my mom had a conversation before going on a visit a junior day to Mizzou um, University of Missouri and she asked me um, Shaquille what would you want to do at 6 a.m. after going out of a night of drinking <laughs> she said would you rather go to basketball practice or would you rather go to football practice and I was like I want to play basketball. <laughs> yeah, so that's when I was, that's, that's when I solely made yeah that's when I solely made up my mind that I wanted to play basketball and I start turning down all my football offers. That's a great way to put it. I think any parents listening to the show with someone deciding on a college sport should ask the exact same question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. But talk about so you decided you make the decision to play basketball. What schools were you deciding to? For basketball. For basketball. Basketball. Um, I had a, I had very small offers. I had Northeastern. Uh, Boston. In yep. Boston. I had um, Drake Boston, yep. University. I had um, I had Missouri State, but Missouri State was after my Tulsa offer. Okay. I actually have a crazy story to why I even got the Tulsa offer that includes like Jordan Clarkson. Okay. But uh, who else did I have? Um, I had another small, Tennessee State. Okay. And so those are all the schools that offer me. Those five I, offers. Those five offers, yeah. And the only the, the two offered the bigger ones, the to, or bigger one, quote unquote, Tulsa and Missouri State, were after those original ones. So you said you had a story about Jordan Clarkson. Can we hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> so Tulsa, um, Danny Manning, you know, KU, KU guy at the time. Uh, I play. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, so they're all around that area. I play with a team called Kansas City Pump and Run, and I know Danny. I know um, his son. His son played in the organization, so. He's always known me, and he's always heard about me, but he was at KU at the time. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, at that level of play as a senior in high school. <laughs> um, Danny gets the job at University of Tulsa. I'll never forget, I was sitting in the library um, in my high school, and I remember reading, like, Danny Manning gets the Tulsa job, and I didn't think anything of it. I get a call, literally, like, I get called out of my class I have a phone call from Missouri State and um, a guy named Steve Woodbury. He was recruiting me there heavy. Steve Woodbury wants to give me a scholarship to Missouri State. I've been wanting to go to Missouri State. Like, this is, like, the school, like, I'm really locked in on that I'm waiting for an offer. He calls and is like, hey, don't do anything. Uh, don't do anything if anybody offers you a scholarship, including us. And I'm like, okay. Like, you, you know I want to go to Missouri State. Like, okay, I I guess I was like, he's like, I can't tell you anything right now, but trust me, don't do anything. Don't commit. Don't don't take any calls, basically. But I didn't have any much calls coming in anyway. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, and then okay, so to speed it up, um, it's another coach at UMKC. UMKC didn't offer me a scholarship. UMKC is University of Missouri, Kansas City, a D1 in my hometown. Uh, coach was recruiting me there, Wendell Moore, and he wanted me to get a scholarship, but the head coach didn't want to give me a scholarship. Uh, I have another guy named Brett Ballard, who's the head coach of a D2 right now, but he was a um, assist or he was a head coach at a NAIA called Baker Bakersville or something like that. Yeah. He wanted me, he came to a game of my high school, and he was asking the coach, hey, does Shaq want to talk? I had a conversation with him, and after I told him, like, hey, I think I'm going to go D1, and he told my high school head coach that I will never make it to Division I ever. Ironically, all four of those coaches, or all three of those um, coaches go to Tulsa with Danny Manning. Wow. Yeah, all three of them. It's crazy. They get in the meeting. They're talking about me. Who sh- who should we offer? They have no scholarships left. Um, Jordan Clarkson ends up transferring from Tulsa to Missouri. Opens up a scholarship for me. That's like, hey, Shaq, um, Jordan just transferred. Uh, we're not gonna lie to you though. Like, you're coming here in red shirt. Like, we don't, honestly don't see much you playing. That's gonna be your role. You can you know take it or leave it. Like, we're basically giving you a handout. Yeah. yeah. Me and my mom like. We're excited. Like, I know I'm going. Like, I go on an official visit. I know I'm coming there. Uh, I would say five months later, I'm starting for the team that told me I was going to be registering. I started every single career, every single game at University of Tulsa in my career. It's crazy because we've had a lot of guys on the podcast and they've had similar stories. Like, Colin Gillespie, they said the same thing to him. You're going to redshirt. Mm-hmm. He ended up having, like, this legendary Big East career and ends up making it to the NBA. Same thing with you. Same thing with, like, a lot of these guys who – they have all these different types of adversity. If it's not getting recruited, if it's not playing their first couple years of college, if it's not right, Patty. It's like we keep on finding these guys who make it yeah. to a high level, like from even like our teammate Devin Candy. Like he didn't get recruited in high school. Mm-hmm. He's going to Princeton and then makes it to the NBA. Yeah, but it's just it's just sorry. I I zoned out for a second there because I was looking at Shaq's game logs here. Is that why you lit up Missouri State every single year? Because uh, like, you know you notice looking- that I had a chip on my shoulder, bro. Your sophomore junior year, that was that was your best your best games of the season. Just real quick, your your junior year, W, oh this is at home, ten for fifteen from the field, twenty three points, seven assists. So yeah, that sounds like it was personal. Yeah, it was very personal, bro. Uh, (laughs) The head coach after every game would shake my hand. Was like, I wish I gave you that scholarship. (laughs) I would have came. Yeah, I'm so and I'm happy I didn't go. Yeah. Because I was going for all around. I had a lot of people uh, that I went to my high school that was going there. So I probably wouldn't have been locked in as I should. I would have been, you know, I would have had way too many friends that was involved like with um, mm-hmm. um, fraternities and a lot of things that, you know, that doesn't involve basketball. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise. Like everything, you know, worked out for me. Think, But I thought, like, it was the end of the world when I didn't get the Missouri State offer. Yeah. Right. So you obviously go to Tulsa. Tulsa's not known for being the best basketball school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then three out of your four years, you bring Tulsa to the NCAA tournament. Your, your coach ends up leaving. Uh, Danny May ends up leaving, going to Wake Forest. You have a new coach, Frank Hayes. You bring him to the NCAA tournament. Talk about how you kind of resurrected Tulsa basketball, how you made it from not a big big school to making it making mm-hmm. it to three out of four tournaments, making it to NIT early years, so four successful seasons. And then we all we all see Tulsa what it is now, but you kind of resurrected Tulsa basketball. Mm-hmm. Talk about that and that experience and, and how you really built that program. Man, it was uh, it was amazing because all those guys on that team are like brothers to me, and you know a lot of people say brothers, 
but I truly mean that. Uh, we had eight people come into Tulsa my freshman year, brand brand new guys, roster turnover, and set, uh, six out of those eight stayed the whole entire time, and we all graduated together. So for us to build that, you know, that school up, it, it it's amazing because you, you grew up with those guys. Like, I didn't realize it at the time. Like, you know, you get a little homesick. Like, you know, you get into it with a lot of guys. You don't realize, like, the memories that you're – you're truly building while doing, you know, while playing basketball at like this high level and at a higher level than the university has been for for a very long time. So, uh, you know, I've had amazing memories with those guys, amazing me- memories with the university. And, you know, without that university, I wouldn't even be where I am to, to this day. Yeah. With Danny Manning and with Frank Haith, uh, the guys along, like, you know, they pushed me to get better. They pushed, you know, for the um, whole program to, you know, rise higher than what people truly expected, especially when we moved over to the AAC. So that was great. I feel like a very common thing now, it's something that a lot of people kind of complain about, is is how many kids transfer every single year. And looking at a career like yourself where you start literally every single game from when you walk in the door as a freshman, and then there's also the coaching change like Swider mentioned. Was that a route you ever even – kind of thought about transferring up in a way where it's like you know you're in the CUSA you move to AAC like um, Jordan Clark as you you mentioned before like he goes from you guys and goes up to Missouri is that something you ever thought about exploring and ultimately kind of what factored in your decision to stay at Tulsa for for all four years yeah uh, uh, another story Um, I was super close to leaving Tulsa after my sophomore year when Danny Manning uh Ended up leaving Tulsa right? for Wake yeah. Forest, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, you know, me and Danny was really close. Uh, you know, he he liked me as his guard. And, you know, he liked what I brought to the team. And he thought I could develop even more into an NBA guy. And he, he can, you know, develop me into, you know, more of a shooter, more of a PG, so to say. Um, but, you know, Frank, we found out Frank Haith had the job. I actually was kind of salty with Frank Hayes because Frank Hayes didn't give me a scholarship to, to Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> yeah. So in, in my mind, you know, I, I met Coach Hayes. I talked to him. We never really had a close relationship, like super close. You know, he wasn't highly recruiting me like that. So it would be like, you know, high and by type of situation. And if something happens, something happens. But he came in and, you know, he left a great impression on me uh, to this day. Like, I even, like me and him are super close as well. Like he was like a father figure to me throughout his time at TU and, you know, he helped me grow into a, a player that, like, I didn't even imagine myself being at the time. You know, I was putting myself in a box, and he helped me, you know, get out of that box. And if it wasn't if it wasn't for him, I, I truly would not be in the NBA. We had conversations of, you know, him, uh, you know, lifting me up, uh, speaking things, you know, speaking things into my life that I didn't even believe at the time. And you know you gotta you gotta be grateful for guys like that because mm-hmm. you know you know how college coaches are they they want to keep you in a box they want to do things that you know that benefits them and not necessarily the player in the future for them so yeah. So you have a great four years at Tulsa your senior you play well, and then after that, you go into your pre-draft process. Explain your pre-draft process, the workouts that you went through, and what you were expecting on draft night if you're expecting eight. Mm-hmm. The pre-draft process is actually pretty dope. Uh, you know, it was new for me. You know, I played at a 
not like a high major, so like kind of a mid slash high major with the AAC. So the talent level that I've seen during my pre-draft process was eye-opening. Like I've never seen guys like my size or even bigger that athletic. I've always used the most athletic guy on the floor, the fastest, the strongest, you know, with the conferences I play with. So when I started going against those guys, it was pretty eye-opening to me, and I had to catch up to speed a little faster than they expected. Um, I had a, I had um, pretty good work. I think I had around eight to nine NBA workouts. I would say half of those I played pretty well. Half of those I struggled a little bit. The overall process, though, was uh, it made me realize I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And it made me take my work ethic to another level that you need to take it to when you're a professional. Because you think you work hard when you're in college. Like, you got the college workouts. You you know, you go to the college shooting workouts. And you just do on, every, only the college workouts. Like, you can get, in a, you get the gym at night here and there, but it's not, like, consistent. Yeah. And so when I've reached that level in the pre-draft, I found out that it's a whole different type of ball game when it comes to professionals and a different type of level of focus and consistency that, consistency that you need in order to, you know, make it to the NBA. So now you're preparing for the draft, and I think a lot of ter- or a term that gets thrown out a lot is people's NBA skill and what basically you're going to have to focus on and what scouts will look at and be like, okay, he could do this in the league for sure. Like that's – if he's going to make a living here, that's that's what he'll have. And I think anyone that watches you would probably determine you as, like, a perimeter defender. I mean, in college and any team you've been on in the intro, I said you're the best perimeter defender in the G League. But, um, like, for example, Swatters, you look at him, it's like he's an elite shooter. For you, have you always been a really, really good defender? And kind of how have you been able to work on that? Because I feel like a lot of people don't look at defense as something that you're able to work on outside of – just being a really good defender? Uh, honestly, uh, my high school was – my head coach was really re- – at the time I thought so, really, really hard on us and made us pick up full court and condition like literally every day. So it wasn't like I even had a choice. Like yeah. <laughs> I had to yeah. defend. Like if I wanted to play, if I wanted to – even to be on that floor, I had to play defense. I wasn't the best – like my freshman, my sophomore year, I have a, um, I have a guy. Um, he played football in college. He played basketball with me too. We played all the sports together. One state championships, um, one state championship football together, and got third in state our senior year. And he's a defender. Like he's been a defender his whole entire life. Name is Austin Panko. Uh, I asked him one day. I said, "Yo, how do you play defense?" Like, I, I my sophomore, we were at, we was actually at Mizzou camp. We were at Mizzou camp. I asked him like, "Yo, bro, like, how do you play defense?" Like. Like, this dude is a small, like, he's small, five foot nine, white guy, point guard. Like, he's like an Aaron Kraft. And I'm like, bro, I'm, like, athletic <laughs> and, like, what can I do? Like, what's going on? He yeah. said, Shaq, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Defense is 90% effort, 10% skill. And that's yeah. always stuck in my mind. And ever since that day, I kind of, like, that summer or that summer when we was at Mizzou camp, I, like, pick up full court and, like, this always has been my – you know, my MO, like, just to try to steal the ball or just start playing harder than what I was previously. Yeah, man. I mean, you can see every single day how you approach defense, right? It's just mm-hmm. you're relentless. You obviously know the game at a really high level, and, and you've helped me so much this year kind of just understand what it takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only a elite defender how you are, but for me, right, That's that's been the question mark, mm-hmm. and you've helped me a lot in that aspect. So after pre-draft, after the draft, you end up signing with the Suns. 
and go to training camp, and then you end, you end up playing with the Suns G League team. Talk about your first G League experience and how you were able to kind of market yourself up. And we talked about this last night at dinner. Shaq and I went out to dinner last night at Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> great, great, great meal, Patty. Mm-hmm. What did you get? Um, I, I got a, I got a fillet. It's pretty good. Yeah, we, both got <laughs> we basically got the same meal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we talked about how being in the G League, not the top scorer doesn't always get called up. Mm-hmm. So talk about your G League experience, and then what ultimately you think got you called up to the Suns and, and made mm-hmm. you uh, successful with the Suns. My G League experience was actually a little bit better than. Others, because um, when I first came into the G League, there wasn't a two-way. And when I was on the G League for the Suns, we had young guys up with the Phoenix Suns, and, you know, they weren't that good of a team. So they didn't send too many guys down. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I had a lot of opportunity, you know, to play and to get consistent minutes that other guys, you know, don't necessarily get on a, uh, you know, nightly basis. So, you know, I started out, like, I ended up starting. Um, it'd be up and down. I'd be in and out to start a lineup my first year at the G League. And I just had to find my way of what type of player I wanted to be. Um, I had a um, coach there, and, you know, I was like a two-guard, point guard. They truly didn't know what I was. Yeah. And, you know, and I, re- I was defending, but I wasn't defending on a level of an elite defender. So they was they sat me down. I was like, hey, we need to – if you want to make it to the NBA, they set everyone down, actually. They're like, you have to have a niche. And that niche can't be scoring. And, you know, in my mindset, I'm thinking I need to score the most amount of points yeah, every yeah. game. I need to – I see other guys going for 30. I need to go for 30. And that's not the case. Uh, I remember um, one of my guys um, on the team – I'm not going to name any names <laughs> – of the G League, uh, you know, elite-level elite scorer – and I have a big, um, he will always tell me, he said, hey, bro, you're not going to make the NBA scoring 30. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to have a better chance making the NBA throwing me lobs. <laughs> and like, <yeah. laughs> at the time, you know, you, you know, the dude feel disrespected. But in like, once I like learn, like, you know, and start seeing a lot more of the game of the professional level, he was so, it was so true. Yeah. And, you know, some guys can't, you know, come to that realization that that's what you need and especially as a, a point guard in the NBA you know I was talking with Cole last night at dinner that uh Monte Morris uh I played on my rookie year um he was on he was with the oh no actually my second year Monte was a rookie and he was on a two-way with Denver and he was playing with RGV and during the uh the video that we had watched before a game they show everyone's you know highlights or what the type of style they play and when Monte Morris came on they just kind of brushed it to the side they were like okay um passer um gets everybody involved next guy and I'm like why are they like they they hyped up everyone else on that you know on the roster that was scoring but none of those guys had NBA contracts and in my mind I'm like okay I want to see why he's on the NBA roster like I'm ready to see him play to see why he is in the NBA. In that game, I was telling Cole, he had like 15 and 15. He didn't shoot, he probably shot maybe like eight to nine probably, shots. Yeah. Probably and zero turnovers. Too. Yeah, zero zero turnovers. Yeah. Maybe one. Yeah, Because, you know, Monte Morris is known for not turning the ball over. And I was right. like, that's why he's on the NBA roster. That's why guys who scoring all this, you know, scoring all the points as a point guard is in the G League rather than in the NBA. 
they, um, you gotta, you know, you gotta be the the facilitator on the floor in that second group. You gotta hold, you know, hold the fort down. You gotta when you come in, you can't let that plus minus get below wherever it was at at the time when you come to the game. If the game is 27-27, you gotta leave out with that game even or better. And you know, Monte Monte Morris showed so much in that one little game of what you needed to do, and that like really changed my outlook on a lot of things. And he ended up being my teammate down the road. Just to give people, <laughs> just to give people perspective. What did you average the year that you got caught up with, with mm. the Suns? Did you remember? If, if, if I you think, remember? yeah, I, honestly, I think I averaged eleven points. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I had some, I had some, I had some loud games where I scored like twenty-five, like to thirty points, but it wasn't anything crazy. Truly, when I, I didn't even get, I didn't even get caught up off of my season. I got caught up from a five-game stretch. Wow. So like the season I was playing, well, I was playing more like I said, combo guard, yeah. two guard. Um, a guy on the team um, ended up getting traded away because he got into it with the coach in the front office. And um, that moved me into the backup point guard position, like, for sure. So I, I had the ball in my hand more. And during this time, another guy, Josh Gray, got called up to the Suns. Isaiah Cannon broke his ankle. If you guys remember that, it's probably yeah. around two, uh, 2018. Uh, Isaiah Cannon broke his ankle. Josh Gray on the um, Northern Arizona Suns got called up. And I, you know, went into that starting point guard position. And they were really – I remember having a conversation with Coach. They were kind of nervous about me being, being the starting point guard because we had some crucial mm-hmm. games coming up. We needed some wins. And I never fully played point guard before, like on the professional level, yeah. on the, in, the, um, yeah. in the NBA G League. And, uh, you know, during that time, I think I averaged – I didn't average that many points. I averaged like 14 points, probably eight assists, like seven rebounds, kind of like the similar numbers that I have now. And just, you know, defending and doing my job and – during that five-game stretch, like, it just opened up so many. They saw that, okay, he can run a team. He, he's going to be a defender. You know, they want to see what you're going to do on your worst day. Like, your worst day, they, everyone knows I'm bringing defense and I can impact the game without scoring the ball, basketball at all. And so that, that little five, you know, five-game, six-game stretch of being the team's starting point guard opened up so many opportunities for me. And in turn, you know, they gave me a 10-day as a reward. But, you know, my mindset, I went in thinking it's, you know, it's for my career. And I even have a conversation with the GM at the time, uh, Ryan McDonough. And they're congratulating me, like, hey, Shaq, we're proud of you. Like, take advantage of these 10 days. Like, they're going to be the best 10 days in your life. But little do they know, in my mind, it's going to be more than 10 days. In their mind, it's going to be just 10 days. (laughs) And so, you know, I turned a 10-day contract into – Four-year NBA, yeah, four year NBA yeah. career, bro. So you know, it's just amazing how everything moves fast. You know, you stick stick with whatever you you know you truly believe in, and everything works out uh, works itself out. It's just amazing to hear that because just to see the way you work every single day, and you don't let with the situation you're in like distract you from what the ultimate goal is, and it just seems mm-hmm. like it's been a constant throughout your whole entire career. And going off that, so a- after you get called up by the Suns, kind of. Walk us through your journey for the rest of that season, mm-hmm. and, then, and then how that kind of worked out for, into your, your next contract and, and the, ultimately those four years in mm-hmm. your NBA career. So, um, got called to the Suns. They signed me to a second ten day. Uh, played really well on a um, second ten day. Um, they signed me for the rest of the year. So my first time being on a, like an NBA contract. And how many games was that? Uh, I played 24, 24, 25 games. So, so around this time, it was around. Yeah, I got called up actually during um, All Star break. So I'm at home. I get a call. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was supposed to be going to play a game at Memphis Hustle. 
I get a call from the Phoenix Suns or I get a call from my agents like, hey, you're going back to Phoenix. You're getting called up. So um, I do really well for the season. You know, uh, the Suns like me a lot. They're looking at me for um, the backup position for the Suns the following year. Uh, I go into training camp with me, Isaiah Cannon. They signed Isaiah Cannon back. Um, De'Anthony Melton, uh, he was a rookie. Then um, Ellie Kobo. So it was four point guards. Um, you know, ultimately they had to make a decision between me and Isaiah Cannon, and they took Isaiah Cannon being uh, more of a vet PG at the time. My play, mm-hmm. I played um, pretty well with the Suns. Um, the, I played in the summer league with the Suns uh, before the actual season, and that's what even got me my opportunity to go through preseason with the Suns. So they were ever, they were looking um, looking at me to see how I would truly play. Like they were wondering if that 24 game was a. You guys know how it is the NBA. They they're gonna evaluate you to. They get every little thing um, out of you and what they truly know about you as a player. Uh, I ended up getting waived from the Suns. Uh, it was a blessing in disguise, like it always is for my career. I don't know how things work out like this, but uh, I I had some two-way offers, and this is around time two. And the Chicago Bulls offered me a two-year contract. It was a part. It's a partial guarantee, and you know uh, we had some other opportunities with a two-way, but this one was, hey, Shaq, we can release you at any time. We're, we don't know. We just got a spot open up if we need. We need other things at other positions, but right now, you can come play with us. You know, you come on a roster, we see how everything works out, and we go from there. And, you know, as you guys know, my, my Bulls career was pretty pretty, pretty good, and it just took off from there. So during those two years, you had multiple different roles. Talk about how you were able to – I mean, you're on a non-guaranteed contract first. So you, so you wake up every single morning not even know if you're going to be on the team the next day. <laughs> and then you had all these different roles. You were in the rotation. You were out of the rotation. You were mm-hmm. in the stay-ready group. But at the same time, you started – Miles was talking about the other day in the locker room. You mm-hmm. started games with the Bulls. So how were you mentally able to go through those two years knowing that right, I'm not on a guaranteed contract, there's games where I don't play, and then I'm starting other games – like. And then at the same time, you, you guys are transcending the Bulls into what they are now. Mm-hmm. So t- kind of talk about those two years and how you're able to mentally adjust over those over those two years. Uh, honestly, my mentor was, I'm not supposed to be here. In everyone else's eyes, I wasn't supposed to be there. If you think about it, you see a lot of people's journeys. A lot of people growing up, they, you know, they have high major offers. They have McDonald's All-Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably didn't have a great college career. They fall off. All in mind, I, every single level that I was at, I had to prove myself. Yeah. It was When I look at people's backstories and, you know, the history of where they came from, it was always somewhere with that player where they didn't have to prove themselves. Not saying that they didn't, but they had a easier or a more um, smoother, a route. smoother, yeah, a smoother route and a higher, uh, higher, um, higher chance to – you know, fulfill that opportunity that they had. So, you know, I'm a guy that couldn't even make his um, varsity team as a sophomore, bro. Yeah. And then, you know, I go into college and I go to Tulsa and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to red shirt. And, you know, now I go into the G League and they don't label me as a point guard. And, you know, I finally get my opportunity as a point guard and boom, I get a 10 day after five games. So, you know, every day knowing that they can cut me. It does bother you know it bothers you a little bit, but you gotta you know like I was saying earlier in the show, you have to have a strong mentality. And then with me, I know, like, everything that I get from here on out is is a blessing. So if I if I end up getting cut, that's not 
I still made I still made it further than what anybody else can possibly have imagined me to go. So everything on top of everything in my career that you know that's after even after today is still a blessing. Like that's why I don't stress about mm-hmm. it because I've already been I'm already been given more than what I can truly imagine, and that's I, that's why I think I can come in and wake up and truly be happy with what um, what I provide because like I put the work in, I, you know I get the opportunity, I take care of the opportunity. You know, some guys, you know, they complain about the opportunity before the opportunity come, and then boom, they're not ready. They're not ready. You know, it's easy to be in the NBA. You know, since it's been times I've set eight games in a row, I didn't take my warm up off. Like the only time I'm working out is <laughs> it's been times where I don't work out on game day. Like you don't have a an assign a shooting time. Yeah. So is this you know you go in there like dang like I'm really coming to the game and not playing, and so you know for your for me. I know my opportunity is going to come. You can easily, you know, go out, kick it. Like, I, I never did that. Like, every single time, it was even if I knew I was out of rotation, I stayed ready. I prepared my mind like I'm playing in a – I'm preparing my mind because people – you know how it is. People get in foul trouble. People get injured. And a situation like that happened. That's why I'm even in – or was even in the position to get on the NBA roster because someone got hurt with in Isaiah Cannon. Or even when I was with the Bulls – People, you know, got injuries or people, you know, uh, got sick. Something happened where I wasn't the first option. <laughs> it was just like, okay, well, we have Shaq here. Let's see what he can do. And I just ran with it. I love it, dude. This is, this is as inspiring as a guest has been on the show. This is like, yeah, it's it it very motivating. But uh, Shaq, this has been amazing. Like I just said, we won't take too much more of your time, but. Um, you've kind of progressed here into being more so of a vet. Swatter's told me a lot about how great you've been in the locker room leadership-wise. Um, how have you kind of viewed this season individually, and, and where do you kind of see your goals moving forward as as you finish up in the last like month and a half here with, with the Lakers? Man, I think it's been, you know, a, a pretty a pretty good season, you know, individually and, you know, for my, for my team. Uh you know, with the G League and how everything is so many moving parts, is it's easy to get caught up in what's being said over here, what's not being done over here. And uh, our team does a really good job, and we have guys like like that want that want to get better, that want to. No, no matter what, like they, they still have a goal in mind. Like we don't have guys that check out super early we don't have guys that you know lose their faith when it you know when things get down like we had a ton of guys that probably sat you know when max come down when you and scotty are down they don't play but then when they get an opportunity they're out there hooping yeah. you know what i mean so we got a lot of guys like that which is really good for this team like i said earlier we're struggling a little bit with our consistency and closing games and winning but overall i think we have a really good team we had a we've been having a pretty pretty good year for to be you know such roster uh, roster turnover. No, for sure, man. It's been it's obviously been a pleasure playing with you. But uh, one of the last couple of questions that we have is, um, what do you view as success for the rest of your career? You kind of talk about you've you've had four NBA contracts. You've had five call ups last year. You've been a you've been a, a leader. You've been a star in the NBA. What would you view as success? Because honestly, it seems to me like you've had the success. But at the same time, you work like you haven't even gotten a, a day mm-hmm. in the NBA yet. Uh, I would say success is not necessarily material things. It's a, a 
a feeling or like a drive on the inside to know that you gave it your all and you squeezed out every possible, you know, ounce of, you know, energy and I guess, quote unquote, success in your, in, you know, in your craft. Like, I, can't, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to even look myself in the mirror if I didn't go hard. You know what I mean? Even though, like you said, like, I've had my my um, NBA career where I had contracts. I had, you know, I had my time per se that I've done that. But, like, for me, like, it, it doesn't stop. Like, because I know at the end of the day, basketball is going to end for me. But I got to carry that over into whatever my next craft is. You know, I don't necessarily know what that is right now, but I know I'm practicing it right now, and it's still opportunity to get better at whatever it is. And so, and it's always opportunity. It's like I heard actually Pat Bev this summer, or not this summer, but this preseason when I was with the Lakers up yeah. up top of you guys. He always said it's never too late, and it stuck with me because I forgot who I forgot who it was, but a guy like got fouled at the um, got fouled in the game, and Pat was like. Uh, he looked, he looked down uh, the thing and looked to the strength coach and was like, hey, we need to get him on more weights. We need to get him stronger. And I said, well, it's a little too late for that. Like, summer's gone. Like, <laughs> we're in season. And he looked at me and he was dead serious. He's like, it's never too late. It's never too late. There's always, a, there's always a chance and there's always an opportunity. This league, this league, this league breathes, uh, breathes off of guys like that. And I was, and that really blew my mind. And like every day, like I tell myself, like there's always, there, there's always a chance. Like even for me, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm getting, um, you know, I'm getting past close to 30. So you know, that that window is starting to close in. But in my mindset, there's always a chance. And you got to have that mindset and keep knocking at that door each, each day. Um, you know, in his profession. Absolutely, bro. That's that's amazing. Um, Shaq, thanks so much. Last comment I have individually is I don't know if. If Swider texted the group chat last week and said we could have Shaq Harrison on last week, I don't know if I would have been for it because you are from Kansas City. And I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan. So oh, my bad, you, bro. <laughs> my bad, bro. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't no, know but with the with the with the week to uh, kind of lick my wounds here, it was it was perfect timing. So congrats on the Super Bowl, I guess. I appreciate it, man. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> we, can go, we can go back at it next year. But yeah, we'll- absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on the show, man. It was fun. One last question for me, man. So you obviously have had an NBA career, but Patty, one of the things that's that's cool about his family is that his brother is also in the MLB. He played for the Angels this year. and still still going as the MLB player. Talk about being two kids who used to play in the backyard and get <laughs> for the sports. And uh, shout out to your mom. Uh, <laughs> and, and she did a great job of raising you guys. And Just talk about having two professional athletes yeah. in the same household. Man, it's it's amazing and it's like it's we're blessed bro like god has given us like a gift and you know a purpose that not too many people can really say that they you know have or ever experienced you know through through sports uh i remember as a little kid me and my brother playing i was it's it's ironic you bring this up because i was talking with um, one of our teammates uh today about it um me and my brother used to play every sport one-on-one with each other We'll put on football pads, put on our helmet, put on the pants, and tackle each other in the basement. <laughs> we put holes in the wall. My mom will give us uh, whoopings. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be playing one-on-one outside, like, late at night, early in the morning, even before school. We're playing one-on-one, and our clothes is getting dirty before we even head to school. And then with baseball, we will practice uh, pitching with each other. Like, uh, we'll, like, keep a count, and we're just – 
pitch to each other or we'll be in the backyard. We're just hitting each other like ground balls, like practicing. We never truly knew we were going to be like athletes. Like we were just being kids. Yeah. Yeah. So when it, the thing for my brother, it clicked when he was in eighth grade. He's such a, he's a freak athlete. I mean, if you look him up, you can see like he was just super, super talented growing up. But you knew he was going to be a professional in eighth grade. And when I saw that, it motivated me to like get better at sports because everyone was talking about him, you know, being professional, being every now I want, you know, I had dreams of being a division one player, I had a dreams of being an NBA guy. Yeah. And it's ironic that my brother plays uh in the MLB and I played I played in the NBA because growing up I love baseball and he loved basketball. <laughs> everyone thought my brother was gonna be the basketball player and everyone thought I was gonna be the baseball player. Wow. Yeah. So it's just, you know, my mom is very, you know. She's not even an athlete. <laughs> my, my mom didn't even know the difference of on <laughs> a touchdown and dunking a basketball. She'll be at a, I promise you, you can you can ask people the growers that was at the game with my mother, like she would say a touch, she would call a touchdown a dunk like at a basketball game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you know your sons are the best guys on the team. And she's like <laughs> <laughs> she's just there supporting us. she truly like now she you know now she gets sports and now she understands but at the time she didn't growing up she didn't play she didn't do anything sports she was super girly girl and you know i don't know where this this talent came from <laughs> so it, just, it just fell upon us <laughs> that's amazing i mean playing playing receiver at kansas choosing to play in the nba and then your brother playing the mlb is pretty ridiculous so i mean yeah actually another crazy story for me y'all like this too yeah. uh so after college, uh, you know, the NFL likes basketball players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like guys from um, turn to tight ends and turn to wide receivers. So, oh, did you get a call? Yeah, after uh, at the time, John Dorsey was the um, GM for the Kansas City Chiefs, and they call uh, and they call they call up um, some guys around Kansas City that's known like that know that knows like me and my brother like guys that used to play in the NFL and they're hitting up the um hitting up the guys and they're like hey is Shaq Harrison deciding to go to the draft like what's his status for the NBA or is he going overseas like what's going on he was like uh you know Shaq plays basketball I don't know why he doesn't play football no more <laughs> like are you sure you're not talking about Monte Harrison like yeah and it was like no like Shaq like Shaq Harrison that went to Tulsa and, and they he ends up calling me and uh, um, leaving a voicemail and talking uh, talking with some people that I grew up with, and they want they gave me a a, a contract to come play football for. Oh my God. Yeah, um, and I had to make a decision. You know, they had a plan for me. Like, okay, yeah, we're gonna get you on a plan, do this, and like get you back because they knew I haven't played football for you know four, four years, and I had to make a decision again to choose basketball wow. over football. Yeah. Something in me was like, man, I want to play in the NBA, I believe. And I took the G League route over going to the Kansas City Chiefs. Was there any uh, – Oh, my God. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, at the time, I'm not for sure how everything – like, you know, with the practice squad yeah. and everything. I don't – I didn't – they didn't have any numbers for me at the time, but they were like, you you will be on – like, we have a contract for you. You truly want to go this route. That's amazing, man. Oh yeah. That's Shout ridiculous. Genetics, man. Shout out to the genetics. Yeah, seriously. This guy's getting NFL calls after not touching a football for like eight years. Yeah, four years, bro. I, they shocked me. I'm like, man, I'm tired of this. Why don't nobody, why don't nobody believe nuts. me in basketball, bro? <laughs> hey, it all works out in the end, yeah. Sure. But Shaq, thank you so much for coming on, man. You've been such a, a great person in my life this year. You've shown me so much and been a great leader for this team. Um, I can't wait to see what we do for the rest of the year, yeah. man. And, it's been a pleasure, man. So 
can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming on the Sweater Show with uh, with Patty and and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. see you. So, yeah, thank you so much, man. Also, listeners, this will be coming out Thursday morning. You guys play uh, Rio Grande. Is that how you say it? No, or is it Rio Grande? The Vipers, 8 p.m. ESPN Plus, 8 p.m. East. Yep. So, yeah, thank you so much, Jack. All right, hey, Patty. Good seeing you. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this week's show. To find out who will be joining us next week, make sure you're following us on all social media platforms, at Swider Show on Instagram, at Swider Show on Twitter, and at Swider Show on TikTok. We also recently developed our very own YouTube page, www.youtube.com slash at Swider Show, and subscribe. You can send in a mailbag question to be featured on the show, Show at gmail.com and of course if you haven't already make sure to turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode week to week cool swatter show with patty casey is presented by blue wire podcast and our executive producer is adam lewis swatter show is created by cole swatter patty casey and producer adam lewis all rights reserved thank you guys we'll see you next week